Coming to you live from Kudu Studios with Vian Isaac. It's Sounds About Music. Sounds About Life. How to create a second album featuring Vian Isaac and guests. Hello, listener. My name is Vian Isaac, and this is Sounds About Music. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Ben Laver. Ben Laver is a British composer and pianist. You're hearing his music right now. He has been on my label, Vonic Music, for the last few years. His piano music has accumulated millions of streams, and he writes and creates music for TV and film as well. So he's worked on projects for huge brands, video games, and films. Today we talk about piano, the art of recording piano, the secret behind his felt piano, and we get into our philosophy of composition and writing songs. At the end, Ben shares what he's working on this year, and we talk about how he has been involved with my next album. So I'd encourage you to stick around. As always, if you want to hear the full podcast, join my album number two club at vianisaac.com slash soundsaboutmusic. We were talking before the podcast launched about a song we're collaborating on, and I felt like keeping it in the podcast to give you an idea of what kind of things we talk about when we collaborate. So we'll go with that. And then from there, we jump into piano and all kinds of other things concerning music and songwriting. Without further ado, let's just jump right into it. It's been good, and I had a nice little play with the um, with the track yesterday. Oh, brilliant, man! Oh, we're so excited about that. Well, it's yeah, it was it was really nice to hear. I kind of felt like I kind of torn it apart a little bit, but um, well, the, the thing is, man, with that track. We have, I've probably created four different versions ranging from like full on EDM to uh, acoustic to pop, like weird R&B. So we've, we've, I've run out of ideas with it. I I feel like I couldn't get a grasp on it fully. And so, so the fact that you kind of tore it apart is actually what I was hoping for because I, I couldn't. Uh, both Sarah and I have kind of run out of steam with it. We don't know. We don't know where to take it. So, yeah. Well, I kind of just. Uh, it was a really nice melody, and I kind of just thought I'll kind of improvise and play what I kind of hear underneath that melody. Yeah. And went with that, and yeah, <laughs> it is what it is at the moment. But I mean, it's. Um, I will get it recorded soon. It's just that the piano is in. It's not. I wouldn't say in dire need of a tune, but an, enough of a tune for me to well for it to bug me every time i hear a recording of it right how often do you tune it um i try and do it every kind of four or five months okay okay normally every four you can kind of tell because obviously i work with a lot of samples Uh and if i start putting you know recording live piano into that and then you can you can instantly hear if the tuning's slightly out because obviously the the sampled instruments are always perfect. perfect yeah yeah so yeah, it's 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 actually well, it's probably about six months now since I last had it done. So I was like, oh, it really does need doing. Okay, wow, wow, yeah. See, I've I've had I've had some. It's been a learning curve for me too because with my new piano, I haven't had a chance to um, really use it 
for for quite some time just because it it never sounded great in recordings and the biggest reason for it was that the felt behind the hammers and the actual hammers themselves it's an old piano from the 70s so it oh, had com- so they just knackered yeah exactly they were completely um hardened so the whole thing almost sounded like a harpsichord it was it was very bright and kind of unpleasant so a few months ago i replaced all the felt on it and i had someone come reshape the hammers and and um you know soften oh, the hammers right now it's usable again but i i totally get that with you know I I get it tuned, and then a few months after I get it tuned, I if I track any other instruments to it, I can start hearing that that, and it's not it's not super obvious, but you can just hear that the piano is not quite there. Tuning-wise. Yeah, you just you get this kind of chorusy effect on a few of the notes. Yeah, yeah, um, and especially when you know when I was, you know, when I was tracking some yesterday with. Uh, Sarah's vocals. Mm-hmm. Annoyingly, if it had been, I don't know, in B flat or something, it probably would have been better. It's just the C's were more out than the others than for the some others. reason. So, ah. so yeah, it's you know, it's it's one of those. You know, I love recording live piano for for most stuff that I do. You know, even if it's for you know a TV advert or something, uh, it just makes it sound better. But that's why I kind of have to keep it tuned up the whole time, right? Um, because obviously, I it's. It's that I want to be able to turn around, press record, and and play. Right. No, I I, I get that. I I um, uh, I've been running into the same thing, and I'm I need to be careful not to become obsessive over it. You know, like uh, like there was a there was a minute there where I thought, well, gosh, maybe I need to get it tuned like every week or every other week, and I think that might be a bit, a bit a bit of overkill. Yeah, it does. It does get like that. I mean, I um, when I'm recording felt piano. You, you you kind of get that detuned, slightly out of tune kind of feel on certain notes every now and again. Okay. Whether that's if you've hit the key, you know, with a certain kind of hardness and it's uh, maybe it's only kind of catching two of the strings through the felt. Uh-huh. Um, and the thing is, I quite like that when it's a solo felt piano piece. I like that kind of that shape it adds Mm -hmm. um, or the kind of the detuned kind of sense that it adds to some of the notes but obviously when you're recording non-felt piano you know underneath some kind of cinematic orchestral thing then it kind of needs to be bang on otherwise it just it just sounds like you've kind of got this cheap chorusy piano in the background wow so yeah so so can you talk a little bit about how your piano is is set up because I've, I've, I've always wanted to ask you, especially with the felt piano, you know, I, I kind of did a, a similar thing with mine where I, I hung felt between the hammers and the strings. And with mine, I, I, I thought about cutting individual strips for each hammer, you know? Yeah. But I ended up just putting a single felt piece between the hammers and the strings. And, you know... Uh, I, I'm just curious how yours is set up because because mine definitely has what you're talking about where the felt the felt because it's a long single strip it definitely affects the action of the piano quite heavily and it also does seem to maybe have an influence on how how the hammer hits the string. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, mine. Um, so I mean, the main piano that I use in the studio is a, a Yamaha upright. Mm-hmm. So it's a U3 upright. So it's quite a big. I think it's one of the biggest uprights they do and i think my, mine's about 30 years old 
hmm. um, and it's actually got the uh, the felt uh, strip built in. Oh wow! So mine's actually connected to a third pedal where you you put the pedal down and slide it across, and it locks it in place. That's brilliant. So it, yeah, it's a really nice kind of uh, feature to have built in, and it was kind of one of the reasons I I picked this one. But I don't actually just use that. So for example, if I've recorded say some piano parts and some other bits and pieces for a project and I want to record some top lines to go on there. The thing is, is that sometimes layering felt piano just becomes more and more muddy. Uh, it it's a kind of turns into a mess. Uh-huh. You don't have that brightness. So I also have different felts and different cloths to create slightly different sounds when I'm recording. Wow. So like, for example, I might... Uh, and these ones aren't part of the piano, but I might basically take some cotton... Um, so some thinner cotton, and record, uh, you know, the top end stuff with that instead of the built-in felt. Wow! Because that way you kind of get a, a slightly brighter felt piano than you would have able to use the thicker felt that's built in. This kind of the whole felt piano thing. People kind of think it's this phase. You know, lots of people are using felt piano now. Um, it's kind of fashionable. Uh-huh. But the thing is, I've just always loved the sound. Um, because it's such, I mean, obviously I love the piano, but felt piano is even more intimate um, because you get the, the clicks and the pops and the odd yes. breath in your voice. And it just adds that real human element to to the recording. And I used to, probably about five, six years ago, I didn't have a piano in the studio. And I'd have to kind of go out and use my parents' piano or wow. you know, a local piano. And if I didn't have time to do that, I would record sample piano, which would sound great. And I'd, I'd kind of, you know, put that into Logic. And then I would spend my time putting in all of the human yes. elements, all, of the, all <laughs> the noises. And, the, you know, I, I have samples of my parents' piano where uh, I'm, I'm, it's just a recording of the pedal going up and down. So you can add, I can add that in. And it's kind of, wow. it's kind of silly, but it was... You know, it kind of just got to the point, it was like, well, I just need to get a piano in the studio and then I'll get all of that in one take. Right. But yeah, it's, I, I just love the, the sound um, of felt piano. I also love the feel when I can improvise better, I feel, sometimes when the felt is on. Hmm. I mean, my, my Yamaha upright is quite, it's quite big, so obviously when the, when the felt is off, it's a, it's a big sound. Mm. And sometimes if I'm improvising... I, you know, some kind of intimate piece. I don't want that big sound, mm. and the felt kind of does that for me. Um, so, yeah, it's that, that's how I have mine set up. And then I just mic it up with a couple of um, Neumann U87s over the top, and again, I kind of change the placement depending on how I feel, basically. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, what you need, because what I'm, what I'm finding is the, the challenge for me with my felt piano has been to not have too much mechanical noise, because it seems like all of a sudden, when the felt is in, the piano is a lot quieter, which means all the hammer sounds, everything gets, seems louder, you know? Oh, yeah, no, completely. And I also find it's uh, depending on what key I'm playing in. Oh, wow. Um, and also what, uh, what style I'm playing, you know, if I'm doing faster runs. It's a hard, you know, there, there have been recordings that I've done that I absolutely love, but looking back, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd recorded it in a key low, you know, in a, in a, hmm. a semitone down, and maybe played it harder so the notes came through more than the mechanical noise. Uh. Um, but then, 
for me, I kind of think, well, it's a snapshot in time, isn't it? It's, you know, it, it was a recording, you know, it's been released. It's, it's a snapshot of, of, you know, how I felt when I, when I wrote it and when I recorded it. And I don't want to go back and change it. Right. Yeah. I, I find that with my stuff too. It's, uh, listening back, you know, you're always learning and changing things. So, but I, yeah, I, I exactly. like that philosophy because I've, I've sort of adopted that too. I, I, I see this whole endeavor as more of a, a story uh, that, uh, you know, the music evolves over my life and it's sort of a reflection of things that happen in my life. So instead of trying to go back and change things, it's like trying to change, change the past in your own life. You know, it's like there's, there's no point, really. You can only kind of learn and, and, and get better. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of why I, you know, wanted to do the kind of solo sideline to, to my commercial work. You know, I'm sharing snapshots of my life. You know, you will write songs about certain things that are happening in your life. Yours are probably are much clearer to people what they're about because you right. have lyrics, um, <laughs> whereas I don't. So you know, mine are kind of little riddles in the um, in the harmonies and the melodies and that. But it's wow. it's the same it's the same kind of thing. Um, so do, yeah. when you set out to write, do you do you usually have something in mind, you know, that pertains to your life that you're writing about? Is that is that usually how it goes? Not always. No, it's I'd say it's fifty fifty. I mean, a lot of the time, whatever I'm writing, if it's not, you know, if it's not to a brief, I'm going to be writing about in some shape or form about how I'm feeling at the time mm. or what's going on. If it's been a manic week or, a, you know, whatever's happening in my life, it's going to affect uh, my music. Um, but most of the time, because I spend a lot of time, you know, in between writing and projects, I might just jump on the piano and kind of improvise for a little you know just for a short while um even if it's just for a few minutes hmm. and then i think oh actually that's wow that i really like that that's a nice little thing i'll come back to that later and sometimes i'll come back to it and i'll be able to get a whole piece out of it and it will just kind of work it will happen and other times i come back to it and go oh no that's uh that's not very good i'll just <laughs> leave it there i'm kind of similar i i play around sometimes like you say kind of lyrics maybe make it more obvious so when i actually sit down and write the lyrics my life kind of comes through automatically but yeah i i, I get that of just kind of fishing around on the piano and seeing what what pops up yeah i suppose i would i would say i write the majority of my stuff through improvisation but i suppose that's how everybody does it in some shape mm -hmm. or form you have to you, you have to start somewhere and play around with a chord sequence and melodies and so on but i kind of i, I never like to structure things too much you know like for, if somebody said oh i love well i love this track off your last album can you play it for me i probably had to think a little bit before <laughs> i could actually play it because i'd go well I, half of that was improvised wow. I, you know I, <laughs> it's a bit like i would probably have to go back and actually learn the stuff that i've already recorded and released wow man that's wonderful that's i i did not know that i did not know that about all the stuff because it sounds very it sounds very intentional like all all the melodies everything sounds very intentional yeah i mean i i've always been a quick writer in the sense that i i mean obviously from a commercial point of view i have to rejig and rework over and over again until you know all the suits are happy mm -hmm. but 
when I'm writing my own stuff, I don't like to if I'm if I'm writing something, improvising something that that resonates with me. I don't want to force that and then kind of learn it and get it you can, kind of performance perfect. I want to have all the the kind of the little nuances in there and the human elements in there. And probably some of the best bits are things that I just didn't plan and the mics were on and, you know, the record button was on and I was just playing. Wow. That's very inspiring. I should I should look into that more. I do that a little bit, but that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there, there are going to be bits that I would come back to and, and re-record if a section wasn't quite right. But generally, you know, I I kind of just improvise a lot of what I do. It's I think that's why, well, I hope I hope this is true, but why people say, you know, they get a lot of feeling from my music, that kind of intimate feeling from from what they hear, is because most of the time it is it is a kind of raw emotion just just played onto the piano. That's um, beautiful. It, I'm I'm not tracking it and getting it BPM perfect. Well, I I I'm I am one of those as well that I feel when you first sent. When you first sent your stuff over, that's the first thing I felt as well. And when I played it to my brother, you know, we both were just like, dang, this is so emotional. This is so, so beautiful. And I, oh, no, I've never great. actually Thank asked you, you how, how it's made. So this is, this is quite wonderful for me. Yeah, just no, to kind of... I mean, obviously they evolve, um, you know, a bit like Keeper. That was... That wasn't really anything special to me. Well, I mean, it meant something to me, but it wasn't kind of like the highlight of the album until I wrote the string parts. Ah. And, then, and then it was kind of like, oh, actually, this is really kind of coming to life. Right. Um, and other tracks that I was, you know, that kind of meant a lot to me might not, you know, resonate with everybody else, but it's it never quite turns out, you know, when you start a project, it's never quite, it doesn't turn out quite how you started it. Um, and I like that. No, I, I, I do too. I think for me, as you were talking, one thing I thought was that it seems in the same way that it seems like music is really a, a brilliant reflection of how life is because every day you don't really know what's going to happen and you just sort of try things and go for it. And then yeah. whatever happens that day in your life, you react to it and you you kind of have a conversation with it and that's exactly how music is and especially when you're creating music and writing music i think there's a lot of mystery from people who aren't in music where they're like wow how did you come up with that and the more that i talk to folks who who write and you know the more that i write myself the more I realize it is sort of a very similar mechanism to just living life and just yeah, trying is. things. You just you just try things and see what happens. Yeah, and I you know, I sometimes find that, you know, I sometimes I really want a track to work and I'll re record it and I'll replay it and I'll I'll kind of really kind of go to town with it and maybe the production's not quite working and you know, I'll really try and push it. And sometimes it's just not worth it sometimes it's just not going to work mm. um and it's you know it's you can kind of tell that if i'm trying if i'm having to try too hard then maybe it's not right right you know, maybe it shouldn't go anywhere um 
I'm not saying that everything should just come easily and, you know, every little bit of improvisation on the piano should be released, but it's if it's too much work um, to try and make it sit right with me anyway, then I normally just put it to one side. Mm. I mean, I've got... I've probably got hundreds of tracks, you know, labelled Idea 20 and Idea 45, you know, just lying around on the computer, and they are... The, the kind of those small ideas that I've come up with and gone, oh, I really like that. But then when I've tried to do something with it, it doesn't go anywhere. Hmm. Um, so I kind of put it to one one side. You know, I may come back to it. I It may sit there forever. I'm, I'm the same with, with the stuff on my on my end. Hundreds of, of ideas. And I think definitely when art and commerce meets, you know, it it really messes with what you're talking about in the sense that I have found myself with certain songs and certain projects. I mean, I guess it's different if you're getting paid, you know, like if I'm getting paid to produce something, then at the end of the day, you just have to get something out there. And if yeah. you can, you can, you can push it as much as you can, but then when it's over, it's over. And what you have is what you have. I'm sure you kind of maybe get that with the commercial work you do. Yeah, no, no, I do completely. I mean, the, the commercial side, obviously, you want to love everything that you write. Mm -hmm. um, and I do, you know, I, I get inspired with every project, you know, whether it's, you know, a big cinematic score or whether it's, you know, some quirky, you know, some quirky electronic track. And, you know, even the styles that I wouldn't necessarily listen to mm -hmm. or styles I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't say like because I kind of, I kind of like everything, you know, if it's, mm -hmm. if it's music, I like listening to it. Um, but yeah, it's, it is different from a commercial point of view. You, you've got to get it signed off. Right. And I think sometimes it's even maybe better because, because you get out of your own head, you know, I think what I found, especially when I started this second album for the first few months, I was just so in my own head. And I, I think I was trying too hard. So I would just sit like I have a couple of tracks that at first I thought, oh, these are definitely going to make it on the album. And I would work them and work them and work them. And I wasn't quite sure what I was trying to achieve with them other than just some form of perfection. And, yeah, and it, it is it is difficult. Yeah, and then eventually I, I've let it go now and just said, okay, it's that fine balance, especially with your own personal stuff, you know, because because it's personal it seems to me that the stakes are maybe higher or maybe a better way of thinking about it is you maybe just care too much, you know? I don't know. I think they hit you harder mm. as, a, as an artist mm. um, or a musician when, you know, when it's your own stuff. I mean, obviously, from the commercial point of view, there's, you know, there's a lot of suits in, in and around, you know, giving you creative feedback. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people involved. And... In a way, it's everybody's job to make sure all the boxes are ticked. So obviously, you know, I want to, I want to create something, if it's a commercial project that's that inspires me and works, but it still has to tick the boxes for everybody. And also, everybody's not going to understand mm. the little musical nuances that, that go into certain things, right. you know. And it will be turn the bass up, you know. It's that, you know, that kind of feedback. So. I suppose once, you know, then it's signed off and you invoice for it and it gets paid. But when it's your own stuff, I suppose you, 
you you just want people to enjoy it mm. and it feels like a part of you mm. when you're releasing it um i suppose even more so for me when i'm doing felt piano stuff or piano stuff because it's so raw and it's and it's so stripped back you know i'm not hiding a track with you know a 60 piece orchestra or a big band it's you know it's just kind of me and the piano mm-hmm. it's hard because you know with with some some releases i think right okay this i'm going to make this release really good you know this this release is going to be epic mm-hmm. um which doesn't really help because it never <laughs> it doesn't happen um it just doesn't happen when you say that um, i'm so with you man that's the worst thing to do is when I, I, I totally feel you. I'm like, this is this yeah. is the hit. This is gonna be the single, you know. For yeah, me it's exactly. always the single. Like I, I can't tell you how much with, with Northern Anthems, my first album, how many of this the releases when we were would release a single and a B side, how many times the B side would completely outperform the single. And I spent hours on the single and the B side I just threw together in a day and just kind of you know, walked away from it. And then that's the one that gets playlisted. That's, but that's what I meant earlier when, you know, sometimes just doing it in the kind of in the heat of the moment and getting it out there is sometimes the better way forward. Right. You're not, you're not there kind of, you know, with a, with a tooth comb, kind of get going through all the tiny little bits and getting rid of every pop and, you know, making sure every compressor level is right. Sometimes, I'm not saying quicker is better, but it's hard to keep inspiration going for a whole week. Yes. You kind of you get bursts of it and I find that's that's probably, you know, why some of your B-sides have done better. Yeah, because that's where that's where the magic is. It's just a quick uh, quick burst of inspiration. I I I totally yeah. get that, man. It's like when um when some, you know, when some people say, "Oh, I, you know, I love the album. I love this track you did." I'm like, oh, really? Do you not, you know, do you not like this one? This one's better. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you yeah, know, that's 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 all right. You know, I don't mind that. Um, it's got some nice, it's got some nice bits. But you know, I really like this one. You think, oh, that's, you know, that's, you know, I, yeah, I love that track, but it doesn't resonate with me as much as this one. Um, wow. You know, it's just you can't predict, you know, what the public will like. Did you ever expect Keeper would be the one that has over a million streams, and that's the the sort of single of of um, the first project? <sighs> By the time I kind of finished it, because the thing is, I I think there was probably a good like nine months between me writing it and going, right, that's done. And then going kind of nine months later, oh, I really want some cello in there. And I mm-hmm. want some, I don't want just a cello, I want loads of cellos in there. So I wrote all these parts, recorded it, and it was kind of like a second wind. Gotcha. Um, and in fact, I had that for a couple of the tracks where it was a second wind because of the you know, I suppose it's like, you know, you get so used to a track that you've sat in your dark studio writing and then sun- suddenly somebody else comes in, records some bits and pieces and it just kind of breathes life into it. Mm-hmm. Feels brand um, new. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's funny, you know, I'm not too, you know, some of the tracks um, that I've that I've done and released, you know, like, like with this year, um, you know, these hands of holding was the first one this year, and that uh, the artwork was actually a picture of me holding my first uh, born Marley. Um, wow. And that was the first picture, and um, and it was kind of the kickoff. You know, it's about family, and for me, you know, regardless of how well that does, 
uh, or doesn't do, it means so much to me just to have it kind of out there and it's uh, it's pinpointing, you know, like we were saying earlier, a moment in my life. That's wonderful, man. That's wonderful. Did you study music? Did you go to university for music? Yes. Um, well, basically, I my parents always had a piano at their house. Um, and yeah, I, I, I probably... I probably started kind of tinkering away at the piano when I was about four. Um, basically, my dad, my dad's a great um, pianist, um, and he's you know, always loved music. What, you know, one of those guys that can pick up any instrument and play it. Oh wow! Um, and you know, he, he had like a big. He still actually has a big pair of these B and W speakers, and uh, he was always kind of blaring Quincy Jones and Joe Sample out of them. Um, so it was always kind of part of music was a huge part of, of my life from, from when I was small. Um, it's a bit like my, my mum used to work in nursing, um, and she would do night shifts and, you know, she would leave say on like a, you know, a Friday evening to go and do her night shift. Um, and as soon as the front door would shut, the speakers would go on <laughs> and, and people used to say in the road, oh, we know when your mum's left because... The music goes on, um, <laughs> you know, and it was great. It was great fun. And I learned a lot from him, um, from my dad, from just just watching the, the way he played and then saying, oh, I really like that. Can you teach me that chord progression or I love that harmony? How does that work? Um, and then I, you know, I, then I would start writing my own bits and pieces. Um, I would do everything by ear. You know, there was no kind of theory involved at this point and then I kind of got my first rubbish PC the really old version of Cubase and <laughs> th you know it was like wow this is amazing you know I can I can write down parts you know and play with the harmonies and you know I've got four tracks to work with and and all of this and then I as I got older I played in lots of jazz bands and rock bands and stuff uh, as a teenager but I was kind of always drawn back to the piano and the computer. I was also a drummer back no then. I, w I, w I wouldn't call myself a drummer now because I haven't drummed in years, um, but it definitely helps, you know. Wow. Having, having piano and drums are kind of, you know, I play a bit of bass and guitar and everything as well, but piano and drums, I think, as a kind of, as kind of compositional tools hmm. really kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of, you know, I kind of my mid to late teens, I kind of thought, you know what, well, I want to do music and... I remember at the time thinking, well, I, I like maths. You know, I quite like to be an architect, but I'd kind of like to do music as well. And I remember my dad telling me a very similar story. He was saying, you know, when he was that age, he loved music, but also loved physics and all that kind of stuff. And he had to make a decision and went kind of down the physics route and um, became a physics teacher and, you know, and did that. And I thought, no, no, I'm going to be brave. I'm, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Which at the time, you kind of, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really think about it. You just, mm. you just do it. Mm -hmm. And then I, I wanted to go to the Guildhall School of Music in London. And what well, my granddad actually went there. Oh, wow. Um, which I didn't know, actually, until I got in to Guildhall. What did he study? Um, um, I think he just studied piano. Oh, I think really? he was just, um, he just did, um, 
yeah, just wow. that for um, uh, f- for a few years. And yeah, so I wanted to get into the Guild Hall. So I kind of had to up my theory and up my game a bit. And uh, I went to study at the Guild Hall. I studied composition and electronic music there for four years. And it was great. And it also gave me, because obviously you have a lot of time to to write, mm-hmm. because that is, that is the course. Um, and, you know, I just learned to write in lots of different styles. And, you know, it, yeah, it gave me a lot of time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I did realise, I think it was in my first year, and I kind of thought, oh, what am I going to do after my degree? Because you kind of think, you know, I'm, I'm doing a four-year degree. What do I do afterwards? It's not like I can get the Guardian newspaper and, you know, flick through to the, the composer job section. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Um, so I actually started writing for music libraries within my first year. Brilliant. And I thought, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll start getting into the media. And by year two, I was actually kind of part-time working for a, a media company writing for TV and stuff. Hmm. Um, and then by the time I left, um, I was already the creative director at this wow. media company. I was kind of more relieved at the time thinking, well, I'm glad I got onto it in year one and wasn't thinking about this, at, at, you know, in year four. But yeah, that's that's kind of like my a summary of, you know, from age four to when I came out of uni. Wow. I, I think that is a pattern I also hear quite often, hear what you said near the end about starting to take yourself seriously and finding work before you graduate. Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. Yeah, it was the same with me. It was the same with me in the sense that I had a full list of production clients by by my last year, by my senior year. And so it's, it was never really a question of what I was going to do after I graduated. I was sort of trying to get my degree done as quick as I could and just in between all my actual full-time gigs, you know, because I started yeah. as well in in freshman year, my first year, I I just started finding work, started, you know, continue to release my own stuff, but took it seriously as a job. And, and then when I graduated, I pretty much just jumped full-time into producer and artist kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm at uni to graduate and get a job in music and I kind of within the first year I thought well I know which route I want to go down I don't want to be a session player I don't want to to write for other kind of artists you know I don't you know I don't want to be a ghost writer and I love you know I thought I love writing for media because everything's different every project is different hmm. you know all the styles are different I was like I love that and yeah I thought well the whole point I'm here you know the whole point that I'm here is to do that so I will start now and it and it worked out that's brilliant that's well, so far. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really all you got is so far, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, exactly. that's how I feel too. Like every every month where I where I make it, you know, and everything's paid. And hello, listener. Thank you so much for listening to the first half of episode eleven. If you want to hear the full episode, join my album number two club by going to vianisaac.com slash soundsaboutmusic. By joining, you get access to the full podcasts along with demo clips and even full songs from the album before they're released. If you want to hear more of Ben's music, 
Go to benlaver.com, B-E-N-L-A-V-E-R.com. You can also find them on all streaming platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, and the rest. Thank you so much and look forward to sharing more with you next week.